Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Kodakery. I'm Megan. And I'm Josh. Crack open your film, wipe your lenses clean, and let the creative juices flow as we go into the classroom with Anthony Janelli, NYU Tisch School of the Arts professor this week. Now that film school is in full swing, we check in with the man teaching the future cinematographers of tomorrow. We break down the aspects of teaching the craft of the camera and the role film plays in it. Anthony wants his students to feel comfortable and able to ask questions, learning from his past work, which we discuss. So let's jump into the Kodakery and talk with Anthony. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Kodakery. Today in the Kodakery, we have with us professor, cinematographer, and academic director at the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU, Tony Janelli. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure to be here. So, so Tony, we have had, uh, Megan and I have had the great privilege to interview many cinematographers for our show, The Kodakery. And one of the things that we've talked about a lot is that cinematography to the general public is a little bit of an unsung art. Like people think of a film and they think of the director as the one that's got the camera on his shoulder shooting every shot. And uh, so, so we were, you know, let's say you're in an elevator. Somebody walks in and they say, hey, well, what do you do for a living? And you're like, I'm a cinematographer. And they say, what's that? How do you answer that question? How do you sum up the role a cinematographer has on a film set? I guess the simple answer is that the cinematographer is responsible in every way for the uh, quality of the image and the content of it in certain cases. Of course, the cinematographer serves at the pleasure of the director, and it's that collaboration that's key in what the movie will look like. And you are very importantly, cultivating that next generation of cinematographers in your job at the Tisch School of the Arts. So what, what kind of stuff are you teaching there? I, you know, I'm head of the cinematography department, and I'm also head of the first-year studies. So I get the incoming graduate students. Our program is strictly graduate. Um, I get the, the new kids, the kids, <laughs> in, in many cases, they're really adults, but the new students who are coming into the program. And um, one thing that's unique about our program is that we don't reach out in the application process. We don't reach out for uh, experienced filmmakers in any way. We are looking for people who have what we feel are good stories to tell. I've had students who are astronauts, uh, I have a student who is a major league, uh, former major league baseball player. It's everything under the sun. And then these people have chosen to want to tell their stories in film. Uh, and so th- this is why um, the content of this, the films that come out of our program have such wildly varied content. So, uh, so yeah, we're looking for people with good stories to tell, but not necessarily very experienced in filmmaking. We have students who uh, have never shot with a movie camera before. Of course, everybody shoots stills these days with their phone and all of that, but very often that's the extent of their experience in image capturing. Mm-hmm. So in that first year, we start out with a, a fundamental approach to image capture. And for those who have made films before, uh, they, got a, they got a leg up on, on the program, and um, it's not very long before they're challenged. <laughs> I promise them that, yeah. 
Well, I was going to ask, what what is, you know, chapter one of the Cinematography 101 textbook? And I guess you kind of summed it up. It's, it's all about image capture. But what is, you know, like, where do you start? Yeah, well, for me, I, you know, I grew up shooting film. And uh, I worked in commercials and teachers for four decades uh, before I became a teacher. So for me, the basics begin with 24 frame per second capture. And then that, that is a pipeline into a lot of other areas, uh, shutter speed, length uh, characteristics, uh, depth of field, elective focus, uh, all of those very basic concepts, which really begin with 24 frame capture. I honestly wouldn't know how to teach it any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and so are you starting your students out on film when they come in? Well, yes, we do. <laughs> in fact, the very first project they do is um, a four-minute black-and-white silent film shot on Super 16. And um, we feel this is really important, not only in introducing them to the foundation, uh, as I mentioned, of 24-frame capture, but... Shooting on film nowadays is, is something that very few of them have done, and it's very exciting for them. So we get a lot of engagement. Yeah. Excellent. Good. And, and uh, what is their their reaction like when they, because as you say, a lot of people haven't shot on film these days. When you, they get that camera in front of them, is it an, uh, and then they start to see the product. Like how, how are the students reacting to film? Well, in the very first class, I say, you know, welcome to film school. And I mean, and I do mean film school. Right? <laughs> so there was a point, I guess, uh, at, well, by now it's probably six or more years ago, where uh, we had a conversation about whether or not we wanted to keep film in our curriculum. And it was a very quick conversation because all of the faculty felt strongly that shooting film was important uh, as a, you know, as an introduction, as a foundation. So at the time, we had in our advanced cinematography class, and these are, I'm referring to students who are in the third year of the program, uh, the advanced cinematography class, we had some very, very strong shooters, some people who are now accomplished DPs. And they were horrified when they heard that, 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 that whether or not we would keep film in the program was even under discussion. Mm. So we had support not only from the faculty, but we had support from the students. And nowadays we find that there are actually people coming into our program because we include celluloid uh, uh, in our teaching, and, in, and they have the option to shoot film all the way through the program if they want. Of course, a lot of them do it digitally, and frequently that's for economic reasons, but um, they're excited about shooting on film. Right. So when a student starts at the program, you know, do they generally start with a plan like, I would like to be a director, I want to be a cinematographer, or I want to be a key grip? Like, how, how does that happen? I mean, and at what point do you need to sort of declare a like some sort of a um, concentration or you just complete the program and you know the entire breadth 
Uh, yeah. We promise them that when they complete the program, they will know everything they need to know about how to make a film, how to plan a film, how to realize it, how to physically make it, how to market it, etc. So um, the backbone of the program is writer-directors, people who want to be writer-directors, and largely in, in independent film. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain more technically adept students coming into the program who uh, know that they want to be cinematographers. Some of them want to be producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, the, but the vast majority are writer-directors. Now, um, by the time they get to the third year, the cinematographers, the dedicated cinematographers, are they've had at least five semesters of cinematography. They w- are ready to declare that they would like to graduate as cinematographers. The other thing that happens, and I love this, is that there are certain people who come into the program intending to be writer-directors, and they kind of discover their inner cinematographer. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they say, well, that's really what I want to do for a living. So, so we don't really make them, we don't ask them to make a binding decision right. until uh, the third year of the three-year program. Gotcha. And then that maybe that'll affect what their final uh, thesis or senior project will be. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Nice. So, so um, as you're going through and you're you're teaching the students, um, one thing that you touched on a minute ago that I want to come back to is uh, the first thing that you do is you have them shoot on film. What is it that you think film teaches a student that maybe is different from what they learn from shooting digital? Great question. As I mentioned, it's, it's, it's the, this kind of foundational concept of 24-frame capture. Of course, that can be done digitally, too. But there's a certain discipline that comes along with shooting film. And I, I guess the biggest one, of course, is that, you know, when film is rolling, there, there, there's uh, spe- uh, pennies rolling through the camera there. So they need to be very careful with their shooting ratios. So what goes along with that is that they need to be very prepared in pre-production. Their scripts need to be sharp and focused and complete. It's not a great venue for improvisation unless you have a lot of money. Right, right. Okay, so and then uh, there's another byproduct of that, and that is all the other crafts that you find on a film set whether it's the grip department, the lighting department, uh, the the, uh, makeup and hair and all the other departments, they too have to be very on their game because there's not going to be a lot of repeated takes. And there's none of this, um, well, when I go on to digital film sets now, it's not uncommon for me to hear the director say at the the end of a take say, uh, don't cut, don't cut keep rolling, just go back to one, let's do it again. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at that point, the script supervisor is a little, a little bit, whoa, how do we, you know, all right. And then the makeup department, uh, they really wish they could get in there and do a touch-up, and uh, things begin to a little bit unravel. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there are some people who really like to work this way. 
but it's okay to work that way only if you know how to work in a um, the 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 other way, <laughs> the way I prefer, which is right. a more disciplined approach to life on a film set, right? Yep, yep. And that's something we've we've heard from the cinematographers. We had Matt Jensen, who shot Wonder Woman on, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he talked about that, where, where even some of the actors had said that they like the fact that, you know, they have to be on point when the, the filming star- starts, but then it stops, and there's a chance to sort of reset themselves and re-prepare and then do the scene over again versus just continually going. Yeah, very important for the actors, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. So another difficult thing that a cinematographer has to do is translate a director's vision. You know, unless you're filming your own script and you can see it in your head, I'm interested to know how you teach that. Is it a teachable thing or is it something that you need to pick up after doing it and getting experience? Well, experience, of course, is the key. Um, But um, beyond teaching cinematography, we teach collaboration. We teach how to collaborate. We teach how to listen. Mm -hmm. We teach directors how to invite the collaborators into the project. And we teach our cinematographers ways to present ideas in in an open and collaborative manner, right? (laughs) Right. So, you know, in in the beginning, a lot of students are, um, they don't really know how to do that. They, They... they come with a shot list and and then they get discouraged when the director has his own shot, his or her own shot list, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we, I guess one important thing is that they realize and we teach them to realize that pre-production is so importantly vital and uh, it's, um, it's time spent together to really kind of fine-tune what, not only what the movie will look like, but what the movie actually is. Mm. Right. And what that working relationship is. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that time, that pre-production time, to really sort of feel out a creative partner that you're going to invest all this this energy and time together has got to be really critical. That's very, very important. First of all, need to, you need to realize that this is somebody you're going to be spending hours, weeks, and months with, in some cases, and sharing many, many meals with. And, <laughs> and so I guess what we're teaching them is to make sure that time together counts for something. Right. I like directors who ask me about not only what other movies I like, but what photographers I like, what artists I like, what music I like. That's how you get inside somebody's head, right? Yep, that was actually going to be my next question was, uh-huh. where do you send your students for inspiration? Like, what, what do you, as a storyteller yourself, I'm sure you're influenced by countless things outside of just film. Like, what, what do you recommend for students to really, like, kind of find their voice and find inspiration? Well, um, I guess it changes all the time. In class, in, in the very early classes, we look at some work of photographers. I like to begin with Ansel Adams, mm-hmm. uh, and we discuss composition. Of course, on this first project that they do, this, this is in many cases their first time actually selecting a location to shoot in. And we talk about the location 
as a kind of a character in the movie, right. uh, an environment with which they will tell their story. Um, so um, we look at lots of their location scouting stills. Um, we watch films a lot, and I try to change uh, my clips that I show from year to year. It just kind of keeps me fresh. But also there's always new things coming out that are, I feel, fit into the, my teaching style. So uh, we show a lot of clips. And in certain cases we show, you know, famous art. Um, I like to show Christina's World, the Andrew Wyeth painting, in my discussion of symmetrical and asymmetrical composition. So I think it's very easily relatable for them. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, um, and so that's kind of a, a, a starting point. I, there are certain podcasts I ask them to listen to for inspiration, and hope this will be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so, too. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, these yes. days with uh, Blu-rays and, and streaming, you can get a lot of uh, additional information about how the film was made right. with the dir- director's commentaries and right. stuff. And so that that's always a, a really good way to become inspired. Right, right. So that's, yeah. What are what are some of your favorite films of the year so far? Um, to be honest, I um, it's summer, and I'm not a big fan of the of the blockbusters and the mall movies. Uh-huh. So I've been um, I've been kind of binging on television, which for me has become um, you know, I spent my life in movie theaters, and something has been happening over the past year or so or a few years where I feel like there's so much brilliant work on television. Sure. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of, I've really gotten into it. Really yeah. gotten into it, yeah. It's hard not to. I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, currently, I'm binging on The Leftovers. Ooh, I just uh, recently yeah. finished that myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, Fargo, I thought, was mm. really amazing. Yeah. Uh, the Night Of was really mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, these... These are these are things. That, it's not just like episodic, you know. Every okay, right, every time. Right. These, these are really like feature films. Just continuation that are, that of the film, yeah. Just, that are just divided up over a season, mm-hmm. and um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. I I I I think there's danger in that, and I know I'm missing some good stuff. Um, so I I need to think about getting out to the theaters again more. Yeah, there there is a lot of incredible work on TV. Mm-hmm. There's just so like it's almost like a golden age for television right now. And it like really you say, is. it's like an eight-hour feature film. Like it's <laughs> there these huge long-form narratives that are. It's just it's been it has been really exciting, and and that's definitely, I think a, I mean a, another great place for people to go for inspiration for sure. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that a lot of a lot of proven directors, filmed featured directors, are now turning to television and working in television and then that's really cool to see yeah i think the same goes with actors um mm-hmm. as well yeah yep. yes i was gonna ask are you able to watch shows without like a cinematographer lens on you know thinking like oh that was so cool or can you just get sucked into the story anyhow well yeah i that's <laughs> i've i've had that thought uh before i you know it, the simple answer is if the film or the show is good, 
I am not really watching the, the cinematography right. on a conscious level. Mm-hmm. I think there's always a subconscious level, mm-hmm. and uh, every now and then I like I pop out of my own viewing experience and think, oh, that was really well done. I should show that in cl- in cinematography class, right? Because yeah. that's so beautifully mm-hmm. lit or so beautifully shot. But uh, if the movie's good, I'm not like. I'm not really like watching it through the lens of the cinematographer. I, I get taken in by the story, and that's what it's supposed to be, right? Yep, that's what it's all about. Um, now, if the movie's bad, <laughs> I watch the cinematography, um, <laughs> and frequently I'll turn the sound off and, and just watch the cinematography. That's great. So, yeah, yeah. I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but so. Uh, at what point are you using uh, the f- format of film in storytelling, or, or are you teaching your students to consider what format that, that could affect the way somebody watches a movie? Right. Wait, like what film stock? Film stock, yeah. Yep. Oh, film stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, uh, so nowadays we only have the Kodak. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And so we do it. This is more specifically now toward the advanced classes. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of testing in class, not only of different cameras, but in film, we test different stocks uh, with different lenses and we analyze, right. right? So my intention with that is they get a feel for uh, contrast. Levels and um, a latitude and grain structure and all of those things that go along purely with the film aesthetic. Um, right. You know, Kodak has just made some fantastic, and I'm not saying this because it's you guys, <laughs> but the latitude and grain structure and all of those things on Kodak film stocks nowadays is really, really amazing. And a lot of times it's uh, choosing a stock has more to do with the particulars of the logistics of when and where you're shooting your location and um, is it day, is it night, is it interior, is it exterior, those kinds of decisions more than uh, creating a look with with a film stock. That can can more... Uh, easily be done in the in the DIT sessions. What does DIT sessions mean? Oh, the d- digital intermediate. Okay. The digital right, intermediate, right? right. right? Mm-hmm. That's a place that you can really create a look that extends throughout the entire film. Does Super 8 play any role in, in students? Like when you have students come in that have shot film, does is Super 8 still, because it's always traditionally kind of been an introduction to film for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you still see students shooting on? Do you guys use Super 8 at all? Well, we haven't. We haven't. Um, I found that um, for the films that we're making that are in 35 millimeter, uh, students want certain sections to have a different quality, a, a lower fidelity, if you will. And in, in many cases, that means a distressed look. Um, and so what they would do in that case would turn to 16. Uh-huh. And uh, a lot of times they will then shoot in 16 in reversal. 
or um, have it processed in an in a alternate manner that has a, a significantly different look from the 35, which is the body of the film. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm hearing all this great stuff about uh, Super 8, and I think Kodak is making a new camera that's Super 8, right? Mm-hmm. And, yes, we are. Uh, yeah, so um, I find that to be terrifically exciting because it it gives you yet another format to go to for a different kind of look and um and not to mention the portability and the and the reduced cost and and uh it's it's just a another uh another way you can go and that what we love is options yep yep Another thing that we're all we're really excited about is uh, Ectochrome. We're going to bring back so there'll mm. be new film stocks as well for filmmakers and photographers to experiment with. So, and some of it ties into what you were saying earlier that there is a, a renewed interest in analog technology and in film. So we feel strongly we can we can uh, bring back the camera, bring back Ectochrome, and 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 other things that could be cooking in the background. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I miss the reversals. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. So you, um, also have, uh, taught cinematography in Singapore and Megan and I were very curious, like, how does the teaching translate? Is is cinematography a global language? When I taught in Singapore, it was for Tish. Yeah. And so I'd say more than half of the students I had there were actually American who wanted to study at Tisch, and they wanted to study in Asia, so it worked for them. Right. But, um, but of course, there were students from India, students from China, students from Korea, um, Malaysian, and a lot of times their references were more in Asian cinema, which was great for me because I got to discover a lot of new Asian filmmakers oh, I bet. Yeah. that I, I, I wasn't aware of. But um, your point about a universal language, that's very, very true. I've shot all over the world, and the language barrier is uh, a superficial one that goes away uh, after a day on the set because how we refer to the tools and how we use the tools, it's pretty universal, and um, it's never been a stumbling block, really. Well, that's great. Yeah. And I also read that you have been an instructor at the Sundance Filmmakers Workshop. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in what, what the attendance is like at something like that and, and what sort of things do you cover? It was before I was a full-time teacher at Tisch. Okay. Uh, so um, now, you know, I, I'm full-time, and um, uh, I, get, <laughs> I get all my, I get my teaching Jones uh, <laughs> filled face. up uh, over the nine months of the year, and mm-hmm. I like to take my summers off. So I have not been back to Sundance, but what I did, I'll tell you, uh, it was the filmmakers' workshop, and these were uh, directors who were out there for a couple of weeks to de- help develop their scripts and to uh, actually shoot some scenes to see if those scenes were working the way they intended. Uh, so it was a great kind of lab experimental laboratory for them. Mm. Um, so my approach to it was not really to be teaching anyone cinematography. It was to um, help these directors realize uh, 
uh, what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked really well in that way. I, you know, Sundance provided a crew and uh, brought in, you know, key people. And um, we ran things as if we were actually, you know, working on a movie. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about about your work. You are have worked, as you mentioned, for years in film and television. And just doing a uh, you know a scan of your filmography, Silence of the Lambs, Big, Independence Day, um, incredible films come up, incredible TV work. How does the work that you've done uh, professionally impact how you teach now? Well, let me start by saying on those titles you mentioned, I was a camera operator. Okay? Mm-hmm. I, in New York, um, I uh, was very lucky and uh, met up with some great cinematographers and directors. And um, I, uh, I, I kind of got on the A-list somehow <laughs> as an operator. And that, that was fine with me because I, I love being the one who's actually executing the shot. Mm-hmm. So that was terrific for me, you know. For every every one of those super famous movies, I, there are ten or more uh, that nobody's ever heard of. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, uh, but um, I think that I, I was very lucky to work with directors who were very very committed to the collaboration aspect of filmmaking and they invited me into their party right so um uh jonathan demi somebody i worked with frequently and jonathan was the most welcoming of all so um i think that that in that invitation informed me of the value of collaborating and how when the director really kind of seeks out your ideas, it helps you to be on the top of your own game. Um, so it, it's, it comes, it came as no surprise to me that I was doing my best work when I was invited to really collaborate in the true sense on those films. And so that really helps me communicate to my students about this in the importance of collaboration. That that's fantastic. And and uh, how how does the in terms of a, a career of a cinematographer like you mentioned, you started at you were a, a camera operator, and then you mean obviously you progressed through your career, um, and to, to be you know the cinematographer, the, the DP. How does that work for people? Is it mostly you, you kind of work your way through the the uh, the ranks like that? Yes, I came up through the ranks in New York. Um, you know, I was a I was a production assistant on a company that made TV commercials, and that was my first real taste of um, how films are made. Uh, I was a focus puller, a camera assistant. That only lasted about five minutes because I I wasn't very good. Um, (laughs) But I did get an hour. There was a director who gave me the opportunity to be the camera operator, and um, I, you know, I, I taught myself to do the geared head, the wheels, and um, I, I, I must say I got good at that. And I, I spent a lot of years then operating on um, bigger and bigger and bigger things. At a certain point, you know, when we make career steps forward, 
we have to be definitive <laughs> in our convictions. I had to, I had to stop operating if I wanted to be the cinematographer on a movie set. So I stopped taking that work, and I was turning away a ton of it. Um, but I wanted to light, and I wanted to create with a director what the images would be. Yeah, I went so, from working on movies that had gigantic budgets to movies that had micro budgets, and um, and I kind of worked my way up again. Um, I did several very low budget independent features. One key one for me was a movie called Longtime Companion, which did very very well won the popular award at Sundance. And that kind of recognition really, really helped my career as a cinematographer. And then, um, uh, you know, in the 90s, New York City became a real TV town. That's when Dick Wolf was making his Law & Order shows, and it would go from Law & Order to Law & Order Special Victims Unit, and then there was another, and then another. <laughs> right, right. And uh, I worked on them all, and, but I did do... The pilot in the first season, entire first season, of Special Victims Unit. And um, on that set, I really, really kind of uh, sharpened my skills to work quickly, efficiently, and, and hopefully not repeat myself too much. You know, could find new ways to do things. You know, when you shoot 20 episodes back-to-back -back over a season, you, you, you're getting a lot of time on the set. And uh, keep your crew motivated. <laughs> it, it can be really, really a super fun ride. It's exhausting, but um, I think that on that show in particular, I became a true cinematographer. Nice. Awesome. You mentioned a minute ago the, the, the Jones for teaching, and, and you just talked through the incredible work you've done in your career. What was it about teaching that pulled you into wanting to do it more, and what is it that you hope to depart to this kind of next generation of film students and filmmakers that you're working with? Ah, okay. Well, I want to tell you a little story, and I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> At a certain point, when I was operating on bigger and bigger movies as a camera operator, you know, of course, I, I had this great interest in lighting and, um, and the, the more complete job of the cinematographer. One day I, I, I was lining up a shot with a cinematographer and I looked through the camera, it was so beautiful, and I, I was, and I turned to him and I said, how do you know exactly where to put the key lights and make it look so gorgeous? And this person who was, I won't name, said, you worry about what your job is and I'll worry about mine, okay? And that, just that, that experience gave me great pause. And after that, I was quiet and kept to myself, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, that happens sometimes. But shortly thereafter, I became a camera operator for a cinematographer named Nestor Almendros. And Nestor, of course, Days of Heaven... Uh, Kramer versus Kramer, uh, and, and that's only in America. In, in Europe, he'd done many movies with Truffaut and Eric Romer and Godard. So uh, when I began to work with Nestor, he, he would say, well, you line it up. You, you line up the shot with the director. And 
and then I'll, I'll tell you what I think. So I would line up a shot and go to him and say, well, is this okay? And, and one day he said, well, can you make it look more like a Dekirico? And, of course, I, I, I ran home that night and looked up Dekirico. <laughs> okay. But he was inviting me in, right, uh, as I was saying earlier. And uh, that was so wonderful for me to really feel like I was contributing and being creative. And so I attribute my love of teaching to Nestor Almendros. He was my mentor and good friend. When it came to teaching, I, I, I wanted to bring that mentality into the program and share and give back. And I'll be honest, when, when you're watching a student's work and you see them in their dailies, they did something that you discussed with them in class, and there it is on the screen. That's the best feeling in the world. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tony, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation, and thank you for all that you're doing to support filmmaking and storytelling and, and celluloid. We really appreciate um, that you're introducing students to film and showing them you know, what it can do and how beautiful it can be. Yeah, well, thank you guys for keeping film available to us and, uh, and for doing this show, and I hope I gave you something good. You did. Yeah, you, you definitely did. did. <laughs> All Thanks, Tony. Thanks. Okay. It is a great satisfaction to be able to speak to you through the medium of this wonderful invention. <laughs>